The reason being is sometimes when you go verse by verse, chapter by chapter on Sundays and Wednesdays, eventually you catch up with yourself and you're doing the same chapters. And if you like these last four chapters, describe how to build the tabernacle. And we were all here, hopefully. Um, and if you weren't, you can read, watch it online or listen to it online or whatever. But um, we need to get to the New Testament. Or it's going to be about five years before we get there if we don't do something. So next week we'll begin Matthew chapter one. Um, so you can plan on that and read ahead. Um, as we finish up Exodus, um, that is the conclusion, is we've just had a beautiful uh, chapter 35 where uh, God has uh, given Moses the blueprints of how to build the tabernacle, um, and, and he's come down the mountain, and, and, and everybody's on board with it. Um, they've all began to bring a willing offering, everybody that was stirred, everybody that had a heart to do so, and uh, that's where we kind of pick up our story here. Um, in Exodus. So let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight, um, the ability to uh, g- gather together and, and, and go over your word and learn from your Holy Spirit as you teach us and lead us and guide us into all truth. We're thankful for the technology we have so far, uh, up to this point anyway, where we can get the word out through Facebook and uh, through other uh, means where people at home can watch and, and listen as well. And we're so thankful for them, and we pray for them where, wherever they're watching from. Um, we just pray that, as Aaron has already prayed, that you would just bless your word, that it would accomplish what it was set out to do tonight, uh, that we would receive everything you have for us with gladness, and uh, that your Holy Spirit would have his way in the children's ministry and in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. It is interesting how things are going out there uh, with cancel culture and things, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how long we're able to stay on Facebook. I was going to read to you something that I received from the National Association of Realtors, which if you don't know, that's my second job um, that I do on the side, and it kind of helps, but they've made an ethics move that's never been done before. And so what? It's just a bunch of realtors, 1.7 million of us, But if you don't know this already, they are the originators of ethics codes. So once they lead the way in an ethics code, most of the other industries follow that. They take their lead from those ethics codes. So even the medical field takes their ethics codes from the National Association of Realtors. They lead the way. So here's what it reads. And what some consider one of the most far-reaching social policy moves in the corporate world The National Association of Realtors, called the nation's largest trade organization, has revised its professional ethics code to ban hate speech and harassing speech by its 1.4 million members. The sweeping prohibition applies to all association members 24-7, covering all communication, private and professional, written and spoken, online and off. Anything that's ever said is subject to a violation and a $15,000 fine and expulsion from the National Association of Realtors. So what? means you can't do business anymore as a realtor. Now, what that means is if you've ever posted All Lives Matter instead of Black Lives Matter, you can be fined $15,000. If you've ever done anything against homosexual marriage or preached homosexual marriage online or offline, that's a violation and a $15,000 fine and immediate expulsion from the association. Realtors aside, the medical profession will follow, 
And this will sweep through all industries, just so you're aware. I don't know how much longer we'll be on Facebook. I don't know what the next steps are or how our society is going to go, but it's not going in the right direction anymore for sure. So be in prayer with us as a fellowship as to how we're going to get God's word out in different ways. We want to be uh, flexible and pliable. And um, I've got some things running through my mind that have the word pirate attached to them. Um, uh, you know, maybe putting the AM signal a little higher than you're supposed to put the AM signal or something like that. I don't know. Um, but it'll be interesting as things begin to unfold and uh, we see things continue to go in this direction. I think, um, I think the enemy has had four years off its rails and is not happy about it. And the spirit of Antichrist is going to rise up and push even harder than he ever has before. And I think we're seeing that happen right now. So, that being said, it kind of segues into our teaching tonight, in a way. Because what we're seeing here with the nation of Israel, and their exodus from Egypt, they're separating themselves from Egypt, they're being called out and away from Egypt. God is carving out for himself a group of people that are set aside to worship him, to be an example to the rest of the world. All around the nation of Israel, although they're still traveling through the wilderness, following the tabernacle, the pillar of smoke, the pillar of fire, and so on, They are surrounded by an entire world that is off its rocker. They are doing all sorts of evil things, which is the point of God choosing the nation of Israel to show the rest of the world that this is what I want from you. I want you to worship me like they worship me. And I want you to see how gracious and merciful I am to them, even when they sin or make mistakes or whatever, transgress. And so the world can see that. That's their hope. So... The nation of Israel is a lot like us as Christians, although the world may be going in a different direction than we are. Remember, we're being carved out. This is very private and personal what we're reading. They're building their own tabernacle. They're they're worshiping. They're removing all the things in their lives that need to go, and they're setting apart their whole lives to let Jesus, or let, at this time, God be the center of their camp. And so as we read through this and we see this building of the tabernacle, I hope you take this to heart in your own personal life as a Christian, that I want to get rid of everything in my heart that's not of God. I want him to be not only the center, the hub of my life, to where I look into my life and all I see is the smoke ascending or the glory of God ascending out of my life, but I want everything that I do to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Everything that I say, I want it to be a testimony unto him. I think Aaron prayed that before we started, that everything that happens in this fellowship, in this church, would bring him glory. Well, that happens as a fellowship when each of us individually does that personally. And then the whole comes together. So as we go through this, be encouraged. We're called to this. Um, We're designed for this. And, And it is uncomfortable to be set apart by God. I remember watching a uh, Fiddler on the Roof, one of my favorite uh, uh, musicals. And he says, God, I know that we're the chosen people, but once in a while, couldn't you choose somebody else? You know, he was a little tired of the persecution. I understand that as Christians, we're called to that. Uh, some of the scriptures we've been posting on Facebook uh, allude to that. Jesus, uh, when we get to Matthew, especially into 24 and so on of Matthew, we're going to see the Olivet Discourse and how um, Jesus says, you, you, know, you best be prepared for what's coming, you know, and it's okay. It's all by design. It's all by my plan. And if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And so anyway, 
We see them doing this. That's why we can have joy in this. We, we don't have to uh, bite our nails and twiddle our, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to eh, you know. Yeah. Um, we'll go as long as we can go. We'll do as much as we can do, and we'll bring God glory all the way. Because uh, the last part of that Olivet Discourse is those who uh, remain or finish in the end, uh, they have victory. You know? And so that's what we want to do. We want to be prepared for that. So chapter 35, they had a wonderful uh, outpouring of love and many that were stirred, whether they had gifts or they had actual physical material to turn over to the leadership to go ahead and build this tabernacle. They've done so. Verse th- chapter 36. And Bezel, uh, um, I practiced this and then I blow it right off the bat. Um, Bezalel and Aholiab, those are the two guys that are the gifted artisans, in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. So these two guys are in charge of the building. Moses isn't. He's got the blueprint. Now he's the overseer. But these two guys are the ones that are going to be on site. They're the job supervisors, basically. Verse 2. Then Moses called um, Bezalel uh, and Aholiab. And every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And that again, that word comes up, that stirred word. We want to be stirred by the Holy Spirit. We want to be led. When we get those thoughts in our mind, you know, I wonder why that popped into my head. I wonder why I'm thinking of that person that I haven't thought about for years. Stop and pray for them. Sometimes God works that way, and that's a, that's a minor thing. It's an easy thing to do. You'll be driving along, and you'll think of eighth grade, some kid that sat in front of you or something. And you know what? Maybe, maybe Joey needs prayer, or Susie needs uh, me to lift them up to Jesus, and maybe they're at a crisis point in their life. And Just pray for them right there. The Holy Spirit uh, stirs us in those areas, and in many other areas too, to serve him wholeheartedly. You know? um, and so these guys are stirred, and so they come forward to do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings. There it is again. We have free will every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. We've got too much stuff. And so Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. You guys give too much. It's too much. Keep it. We've got more gold than we know what to do with, you know. Uh, What a great problem to have when uh, building a ministry, right? Yeah, (laughs) Uh, so many ideas, so many things you'd like to do in the ministry, but you're often uh, restrained by, uh, of course, financial situations and so on. And and a lot of times God does that on purpose, you know, because a lot of the ideas are man's ideas and not his ideas. And so man's got this great idea. Hey, I think I'm going to do this. And God's like, I'm not giving you any money for that, you know. And so he holds back a little bit. And that's that's good. That's a good thing. And so you always, you always just assume whatever God's given you, that's exactly what you needed. Any more, and, and, you'd, and you'd be ruined. You know, you'd ruin the ministry or you'd ruin yourself. Um, and so you always just 
accept whatever God's provided and you work with what he's given you. It's always a good thing. It's always perfect. Anyway, these guys, hey, hold off, hold off. We've got too much. It's just a tent, you know. Um, Verse 8. Then all the gifted artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle made uh, ten curtains woven of fine linen. And this is where I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit. Um, If you're new and you're just coming, I apologize. You probably want me to read through all the dimensions, uh, the amounts, and the numbers, and the weights. But we've done that like three times now in the last year and a half. And so I'm going to breeze through this, and you can read this on your own. um, A lot of it's been covered in Exodus 26. A lot of it's been covered in uh, Leviticus and so on. And so we want to... We want to move through this. So he's going to go through it. We're going to make curtains of fine linen and blue and purple. and We're going to put cherubim on it and all that. Verse 14, he made curtains of goat's hair for the tent covering, and they give us the dimensions for that. Verse 24, 40 sockets of silver made for those uh, posts that are going into the ground to build this tabernacle. It's kind of a strong back. Uh, in other words, it's not just a tent with ropes pulling it tight. It's actually wood overlaid with gold all the way around, and they've let the tent overlap that. So it's kind of a, we call that a strong back. It's a, it's a tent, but it's, it's rigid. It's a rigid tent. And so we've got these sockets of silver that they set in. Remember, this is a very portable unit. Well, I mean, as portable as all this can be, but uh, there's a lot of people to carry, so it's kind of portable. They want to pick up and move. Verse 31. And he made bars of acacia wood. Now those bars are the ones that slip through the rings of the boards and kind of hold it all together so they're not floppy, you know. Put those through there and makes that side rigid. Verse 35. And he made a veil of blue and purple and scarlet thread. And that's the beautiful uh, veil that, that hangs. And it's cast and set in sockets of silver. Verse 37, he also made a screen for the tabernacle door. So the veil is in the tabernacle. It separates the holy from the holy of holies. Just outside, you've got another veil that kind of is less thick uh, and allows them to have some privacy while they're in there uh, serving the Lord. Chapter 37. Then Bezalel made the Ark of Acacia Wood. Now, this is the Ark of the Covenant, you know. This is the Ark with the Ten Commandments in it. Um, the three things that are in it, Aaron's rod that's budding is inside of this. You've got the uh, Ten Commandments, and you've got a, a bowl full of manna, some of that bread that God provided for the nation of Israel. Anyway, it's, it's about so big is what they're making it, and it's made out of acacia wood overlaid with gold. It's got poles through it and two angels that, whose wings face forward over it. And on top of this is the mercy seat. This is the top part of the ark. So the ark's by itself, it's just an open box, the lid is actually called the mercy seat. And that's where God uh, that kind of represents his chair. And he says, that's where I'm going to meet you. I remember what this is all for. I can't have you making golden calves saying, this is the God that brought you out of Israel. I can't have you making likenesses of me and all that. What can I do? Well, I can let you make up a model of what it's like up here in heaven. And so when we see this tabernacle all laid out from like an aerial view, you'll see the chair of God here. You'll have the altar of incense where prayers are offered up. Next, you're going to see this curtain that goes, uh, you know, and the lamps on this side, uh, the showbreads on this side, the seven spirits of Revelation, you know, got that menorah looking thing, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Seven lamps on it. Uh, That represents the seven spirits that are before him. On the other side is the showbread with all that beautiful bread on top of it. That that fresh scent, you know, of uh, baked bread is is in the tabernacle filling the place up. 
And that represents Christ, of course, in the 12 tribes. And then just outside of that, we've got this brass laver with uh, water in it, uh, which is like that sea that you see in the book of Revelation, the sea that's before the throne of God. And then you've got the altar uh, that you offer up the sacrifices to and so on. So that's all laid out, and that's what we're going over now. So that's chapter 37, verse 1. They make the ark. They put the... uh, the, uh, the seat on top of it, verse 10. He made the table of acacia wood. Um, that's that table on the left-hand side here. It's actually right when you come in the door, left if you're looking at it from God's standpoint. And that's got the showbread on it. And that's uh, verses 10 through 16. Verse 17, that lampstand, it looks like a menorah. You've seen them. It's got one tall candle and then three branches off either side. That's, but it's big. It's one piece of solid gold that they've carved, and they put the lamps on that. And that's on the, the right side from God's standpoint, the left side from our standpoint when you come into that tent. I mean, that's there, and that's the only light that you have inside the place. Um, and so that's there. Verse 25, he made the incense altar of acacia wood. Now, that's that place where the priest would come and pray. Uh, and offer up incense, and it was supposed to represent the prayers rising up to the Lord, and and we've gone over that. Um, Zechariah, when he heard about John the Baptist, he was doing that. It was his turn to come in, and he was offering up prayers for the the nation, and the angel appears to him and says, Zach, you're going to have a boy, and begins to describe it to him, and that's at that place, at that altar of incense. Uh, Verse 29, they make the holy anointing oil, which they put on everything, basically. It's for the priests, but they also put it on everything else, setting it apart. Anointing oil always represents the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I know I breezed through that chapter, but that is really the focus of these final chapters of Exodus is um, the, the furniture is fine, the gold is fine, the acacia wood, the dimensions. The point of it all is it's all set apart for the worship of God. The anointing of the Holy Spirit upon all these items and all the people serving him. It's all set apart for him to bring him glory. Okay, The anointing oil was something extra special. It could only be made uh, at this with this formula, and it's only for this purpose. You couldn't buy it on the street and wear it when you went out to that black tie event, you know, uh, or cocktail hour or whatever. This is just meant for God. It was all him. It was all his. It was designed to set it apart completely. Um, God has done that for us and wants to do that for us continually. Um, Because this isn't the only time they anoint it with oil. It's a continual thing that takes place. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to have that anointing of the Holy Spirit on our lives. Um, Very important. Um, And be guided by His Holy Spirit. To be set apart. Um, Jesus says it's like the fragrance of Christ. When people smell us, it's either the fragrance of death or the fragrance of life. Um, and we bring that. There's a fragrance upon someone who's a believer in Jesus Christ. When I go into the workplace, as was prayed by Aaron earlier, when you go into that workplace, there ought to be that fragrance of Christ. Some may like it, some may not. I think we've all had experiences with that. Going into Dillard's, which I don't even know if they're open anymore, but you know, you go have to go past the, the perfume people, you know, whatever. And it's it's definitely a mix of you know, you know uh, Charlie. I don't know about I don't even know if they sell Charlie anymore. That's um, or Stetson or whatever it is. And man, mm, some of those are just awful. Some of them are horrible. But for other people, man, they buy it by the gallon, you know, and they and they wear it. Uh, when it comes to Jesus Christ, it's either a blessing 
He's either a blessing or he's not. That's just a fact. And, and I can't, and we can't worry about that. When God anoints me with the Holy Spirit, when he anoints you with the Holy Spirit, and we're walking around this world and people are angry with that scent, what are we supposed to do? Wash it off? Reject it? Put on a scent that's pleasing to them? Or do we just walk past and say, a lot of people like this. I know I do. That's why I bought it. You know, in a sense. I mean, I know you don't buy the fragrance of Christ, but I put it on on purpose. Um, That's going to be the case more and more. Um, And I don't mean to be dramatic about it, but I don't know that I can emphasize it enough. I think I have over the last few months. But we need to really be prepared to be a strong fragrance for Christ, regardless of the faces people make at the scent that they smell on you. Okay? Jesus' grace and mercy and his love are beautiful. But along with that, as we go through the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is mercy for a reason. Mercy is not giving something that they deserve, like a spanking. You know, that's mercy. And in order to understand mercy and have that mercy, you have to understand that you deserve that mercy. And that's offensive to some people to think that God would have punished them if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for the mercy of God. That's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to understand. For others, they felt the weight of that guilt and shame their whole life. They know they've got punishment. They know they're at odds with God. They know they're distant from him, and they hate every minute of it, and they're doing and looking for any way to get back to him. And to them, you'll be the fragrance of, of, of life. Oh, my goodness. Thank goodness, you know. There's a way back to the one I love. There's a way back to the one that I'm so worried about being separated from. For others, they'd just rather not be reminded of that. They're fine where they are. Be prepared for that funny face, for the rejection, and you'll be surprised, I think, at some of the people that will make the funny face at you. I know I have been this year. I'm surprised at a lot of people that I thought were where they were and they're not where I thought they were. A little bit of pressure, a little bit of trouble and turmoil and a little bit of persecution and all of a sudden, wow, I guess I thought we were on the same page, you know, but we're not. And that's okay. Uh, Persecution does cause things to rise to the top in people's lives, some some. You know, they talk about the refiner's fire. A lot of gold in the tabernacle, and they would purify that gold over and over again. And the idea behind purifying it, or the the, when you knew you had purified it enough, was when the person purifying it could see their reflection in the gold. You know, a beautiful... Otherwise, that I I remember doing this with with aluminum when I was in uh, a shop class. Um, We went to the annex, it was a different building, and we went to shop class, and we... Uh, we bring in all of our cans that we had collected, you know, and then we'd melt down the aluminum and all. And I didn't understand what we were doing, but we were making aluminum bars. And then they, you know, the shop guy would, <laughs> the teacher would keep all the money or make buy pizza for us or something or whatever. But in the process of heating this stuff up, he's just showing us what that smelting process looks like and what it what happens. And the top gets all crusty and gross, like like when you see a volcano that gets kind of a crust on top of it. And then you'd scrape off that crust because those are the impurities. That's the paint. Or anything else that's in that aluminum, it rises to the top and they scrape it off. And then we do it again. 
And then we do it again until, until there was hardly anything coming to the top. Now, he wouldn't do it too many times because it wasn't that big of a deal, but he'd do it till it was pretty pure aluminum. Well, eventually they do that with the gold in the same way. And with gold, you can do it until you can see your face shining back at you. The reflection is there. Um, when it comes to the Lord, a little bit of trial and tribulation, he says, don't, don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you. They're meant to refine you. And so that was invaluable for me to have that lesson in shop class. I mean, I've never smelted aluminum since, nor will I ever smelt aluminum. Well, I don't know, maybe I'll be, I don't know. But I learned something there, and it was all that moment um, was for this right here. So I understood what God was talking about refining. So I'm hoping to give you that experience right now. Because as fiery trials come your way, that crust, that stuff that you didn't think maybe was inside of you comes to the top. And God wants to scrape that off and throw it away and, and do it again and again. And again, until he's scraped off enough that hardly anything comes to the top anymore, and he can see his reflection in your life. And he'll do that over and over again. It's a, it's a wonderful process. It isn't fun. I don't want to sell it, that's for sure. But it is something you should expect as a believer in Jesus Christ. Heat. Heat. And uh, it, brings out, it brings out the worst, but God scrapes that off and leaves the best. So expect that heat. That being said, um, here we are with the nation of Israel making this whole place shining with gold, um, reminding us that we are being conformed into the image of Christ. We're being conformed into the image of Jesus, and he is looking for his image in my life. He's looking into my life to see if he can see his reflection, and I need to let that happen. Chapter 38. He made the altar of burnt offering, the acacia wood. That's clear outside. He made all the utensils, verse 3, the pans, the shovels, the basins, the forks, the fire pans. All this is being made of bronze. All this is being smelted and put together for the service of God. And the rest of the world has no idea what's going on. I just want to remind you that. There's a whole world out there that doesn't know any of this stuff is happening. On Sunday morning, I talked a little bit about how sometimes I'll hear a Bible study and I'll take notes on things that pop off the page to me. And I don't make it public. I don't let everybody know I've got a wonderful word from the Lord today. It's just for me. And I write that down and I circle it and I remember that God, sometimes I'll put the date down beside it. These are things that are happening in my life. Sometimes they're meant to be shared publicly. Sometimes they're just meant for me to hold on to. To let God do that work. He, he doesn't need me to embarrass myself all the time with all the sin that comes out of my life. I can keep that to myself or keep it between me and him. You know, Sometimes he says, I want you to share it. Sometimes not. The whole world may be going crazy, but right now in this room, the Holy Spirit, hopefully by his word, is just speaking to hearts, drawing people closer, making him look, making you look just a little bit more like Jesus as his word goes into your heart. Changing ideas and thoughts in your mind about certain world world views that you thought were okay until you come across God's word that says no, that's that's not okay, and all of a sudden you find yourself counterculture. God is changing us. He's doing a work in this room and in many rooms throughout the world. Many churches are going over His word tonight on Wednesday night, sometimes on Thursday night, and lives are being changed. God is doing this right here in the hearts of many, many people throughout the world. We're not the only ones. 
There are 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. That's a reference uh, from one of the prophets who was kind of bummed out and depressed that he was the only one that loved God. And God had to pull him aside and say, no, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're one of 7,000. Oh, you know, looking around at the other caves to see if any of the other prophets are popped. Where are the other 7,000 caves? Well, they're not in caves. That's the point. Get out of the cave, you know. Be a light for me. All right, that was a really long rabbit trail. I'm coming back now. <laughs> Some of you just need to go, hey, we're in Exodus. Okay, verse 9. Then he made the court uh, on the south side. The hangings of the court were a fine linen, 100 cubits long. And then, so this is that court. So you got your tent there, and you've got the, 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 uh, the offering, and then the bronze laver and all that. And then you've got this white kind of curtain that goes around the outside of the tabernacle where the priests were kind of busy doing their thing. That was their thing, their area, their workspace, basically, um, doing their thing. So that now they're doing that. That's the final thing. Verse 21. And this is the inventory of the tabernacle. And no, I'm not going to read the inventory of the tabernacle. (laughs) Nothing like reading a shipping label to you on Wednesday nights, you know. These are all the things they did. All the gold that was used. I'll give you some numbers, though. 2,000 pounds of gold were used in this. Not a waste or very honoring. They had plenty. They brought it all out of Egypt with them. You know, it's not like they were wasting their money on God. It was, it was God, you know. 8,750 pounds of silver, a lot of silver sockets and so on going on here, um, and so on. And, and, the, and the, the list goes on for all the things that they made. Chapter 39. Of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread, they make garments. Okay, so now we're moving from the furniture and the utensils. Now we're going to go to what the priests have made. The first thing they make is the ephod. That's the base layer that they would put on the priests, especially just for them. In verse 7, or beginning in verse 8, making the breastplate. That was that really interesting breastplate with the 12 stones on it. One stone represented each tribe of Israel. Okay, And then on the top shoulders, they had the tribes of Israel. Six on this side, six on this side. That was black up here, and these were all different colors. Okay, This little breastplate they would hang in front of them. Um, and so they're making that breastplate. In uh, verse 22, uh, they make the other priestly garments. And so the high priest would get certain garments, and the other priests would get different garments. Um, and there was uh, coats of mail and woven uh, binding all around the opening, and it would not tear. And, and so on describes all the pomegranates around. Remember how detailed he was? And that reminds us of how detailed God is when it comes to what he wants to do in the ministry. I've got some specific things I want to do. There's some specific things I don't want you to do. I know you want pomegranates. What about apples? No, I said pomegranates. But won't apples look nice too? Probably, but I want pomegranates. Just do the pomegranates, you know, kind of thing. Um, and so God in ministry is very specific on what he wants to do. I want you to do this. What about this? I didn't ask you to do that. I want you to do, to do this. He gives him a complete blueprint. In Hebrews, when you go to Hebrews, when you read that, it says that God had given him a model or a blueprint, and Moses followed it perfectly. That's all, we, that's all we're called to do. It takes a lot of the pressure off. I mean, we, we can be creative in certain ways. There was room for crea- creativity in the, how the angels looked or how, how we threaded, th- how we sewed things and, and all, and how we molded things. There was some room for that, but we still needed to be and still needed to look just like God wanted it to look. 
you know? Um, they, they didn't add other things, other furniture. Well, I think that's kind of sparse in the holy place. Couldn't we add another, I don't know, a chair or something for the priest to sit down? No. Because my high priest doesn't rest. He never sits. You see, we think that's a great idea. The high, he's going to get tired offering the prayers all day long and filling the oil lamps and making the showbread. I'll give him a chair to sit in. You, you mess up the picture when you, when you begin to ad lib your worship like that. As Christians, we're called to worship God in a specific way. I don't have to ad lib. I don't have to make it up. I do what he's called me to do. Acts 2.42 is a beautiful picture of what the church should be doing. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in prayer and the breaking of bread and of fellowship. Those four things are important for the Christian's life. Acts 2.42. It's our, it's our Wi-Fi passcode, or it was. Is it still our Wi-Fi passcode? Yeah. Public passcode is Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We study God's word. And in prayer, we have our prayer times together as well as apart. Um, in fellowship, um, we hang out together. We talk together. We become a tight group of folks serving the Lord. Um, and in the breaking of bread, that's either communion or potlucks, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, more like communion is what, we talk about, is what he's talking about. We do those things. Those are important. Those are pillars in our faith that keep us strong. And we, it, it behooves us to, to follow those pillars, to do those pillars. All right. So we've got the breastplate, and we've made the other priestly garments. Also, the word, it says at the, at the final, at the end, it says on this, the engraving on the signet in verse 30, holiness to the Lord. That's the only writing we have so far. We've got the tribe's names. The only other writing so far in all the stuff we've ever made in the whole shebang here, holiness to the Lord. Holiness is something you study. You do a word search on it. You read all the verses that have to do with holiness, and I think you'll get an understanding of what that is. God himself says, be holy for I am holy. Holy is the best way to live your life. It is the best way to enjoy every aspect of the creation that God has placed us in and created us in is is through holiness. Sin only wrecks and ruins the beauty of experiencing our lives. Our lives are meant to be holy and pure, and that is the ideal way, you know. It's like driving a race car, you know, with all the tires inflated just right. Nobody takes one of the tires off or deflates it by, you know, 30 pounds. That's always pulling to the right. It's always driving me into the ditch. Everybody's passing me. My life's just hard. I, my, my hands are getting sore. Inflate the tire, you know? And I say that because a lot of people try to have this beautiful life with Jesus and keep their sin, and it's, it's counterproductive. You don't get to experience the life you're meant to experience. You're not meant to have this beautiful sweet spot, you know, of walking with God. Holiness to the Lord. He reminds us of that. It's not because he wants to see if we're going to obey him. Here's a bunch of rules. See if they, see if they can follow him and make, I'll make their lives miserable. They live, in, they live in prison with me, you know, kind of thing. No. It's just the best path, you know. We went to Israel, and uh, I went once, and, and maybe you've gone to other countries, and there are tour guides for a reason. Because I'm a dope. You know, you show up in Paris, neat. You know, <laughs> What should I go to next? And you realize that if I get in that cab and they go to take me across town, that's all I'm going to see today. 
Whereas if I got a tour guide, they'd have taken me here, 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 here. And then I'd finally be at that place I thought about, but they'd show me 10 other things on the way there. And I've really maximized, you know, my time in that beautiful city. God wants us to absolutely maximize our life. Absolutely have a wonderful, beautiful existence with him. Now, there's going to be trials and tribulations all around. That's because they're not doing what the tour guide told them to do. These are beautiful instructions as to how to live your life and have it full and perfect. You really have to look at it that way. And so when they completed the work, that was the last things written. Holiness to the Lord. So important. Now, verse 32. Thus all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was finished. And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. And they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent, and all its furnishings, its clasps, boards, bars, pillars, sockets, the covering of ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, veil for the covering, the ark of the testimony with its pole, poles. They brought it all to him, all of it. And according to the verse 42, according to all the Lord, all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Just so they had done it. And Moses blessed them. Ah, nice. Nice, guys. I love it. So chapter 40. This is the last chapter of Exodus. This is where my cross-references are. And um, I've got seven minutes. So are you ready? All right. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. It's time for me to move in. It's all done. You've done all the work. You've cleansed your heart. You've removed all the wickedness. You've repented of your sin. It's time for me to step in, to fill you with myself, to fill you with the Holy Spirit, to fill this tent with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to shine. I'm going to give you direction. And when I leave, you follow me. That's the whole point behind all of this. On the first day of the month, you shall set up the tabernacle of meeting. You shall put it in it, the ark of the testimony, and partition off the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for an incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. And you shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. Okay, just like I kind of described it. I had those two backwards, but um, you get the idea. You shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen at its courts. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. And you shall hallow it and all its utensils. It shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. And you shall anoint the laver at its base and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them. You shall anoint as you anointed their father, uh, that they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. And Moses did, according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. And it came to pass in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. 
So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put in its bars, and raised up its pillars. And he spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering on the tent on the top of it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark, inserted the poles through the rings of the ark, and put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering, and the and, uh, and partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil. And he set up the bread in order upon it for the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the, tab- across from the table. And on the south side of the tabernacle, he lit the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. I know it's a lot of reading, and I know it's an entire chapter. But if you understand, you can feel the rhythm and you can feel the cadence of the Lord. You begin to set things in order. When I first got born again, when Jesus got into my heart and finally I realized I needed to have a Savior, he began to set things in order in my life. And it was deliberate and it was on purpose. He did this, and then he did this, and then he moved in this area, and he did this. And all I had to do every step of the way was say, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, every step of the way. We don't ever stop saying yes to the Lord as he begins to rearrange our lives, as he begins to set things in order in our lives. Let him set those things in place. He knows what he's doing. He's removing things from our lives that were unnecessary. He's bringing into our lives things that were vital to us, that we absolutely must have. And I should never mourn the loss of the things he takes away from me. And I should embrace with my whole heart everything that he brings into my life because it's for me and it's for my good and it's for his glory. It's all meant to reflect him. And so as God brings these things, and Moses says, yes, 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 all of a sudden, the tabernacle is complete. God is going to move into it. The glory of the Lord is going to come down upon it, and the rest of the world is going to see this. And the whole nation of Israel now has the Lord at the center of their camp. And whenever that pillar of fire moves, whenever the pillar of smoke moves, they move with it. It becomes everything to them. Everything, they focus on that, they smell that, they see that. Their whole lives revolve around that. And there is no better way to live than to be that close to the Lord. Verse 34. Then the Lord covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and the fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of it, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The cloud protected them from the heat of the desert throughout the day. The pillar was like a nightlight throughout the night for them. The camp was lit with this, with the Lord. My cross-references in the next two minutes, and then we'll close. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 20 through 21. There's three of them, and it has to do with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Referencing the, the cloud and the pillar. When it moves, they move. We have that same Opportunity with God today. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, 
Yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. But your eyes shall see your teachers. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. The prophet Isaiah was telling them, you're going to hear a still small voice. You're going to hear that voice leading you and telling you which way to go. Just go that direction. Follow him. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. We're not called to figure it out on on our own. We're not called to make our own path or blaze our own trail. We're truly called to be led by the Spirit. If the Spirit doesn't move, I don't move. If the Spirit moves, I move. I never want to be distant. I never want to be trying to catch up to what God's doing, and I never want to, I never want to get ahead of Him. I want to stay right where He wants me to be. And then finally, John sixteen thirteen. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit teaches us. From the, it's a supernatural work of God in our lives. And, and, and that is going to become so much more essential. The longer we live, the longer we go through these times, as the times get more and more evil, you're, we're going to need to be led by the Spirit. We're going to need to hear that still small voice. We're going to need to just do what He asks us to do right at the right time. And he promises us that we'll be taken care of, that I'll, I'll guide you, I'll lead you, if you'll listen, if you'll listen. And of course, we want to have our ears opened to hear him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the book of Exodus, your heart uh, for specifics and setting things in order um, because it represents you correctly to not only the nation of Israel, but to the rest of the world. So, Lord, I, we pray that you would set things in order in our own lives, um, that we'd let you build us up, a holy priesthood. Would you build us up, each individually, as tents filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, a light to those in the darkness, uh, a protection for those who are in the heat of battle, um, that we'd have that sweet smell, that fragrance of Christ on us wherever we go. Um, We pray that the rest of the world will be drawn to you. And we know that a lot of the world hated Israel, and so we expect that as well. But many came to know you through the nation of Israel and their relationship with you. So Lord, help us to be those living epistles, those people that are walking, filled with your spirit, being led by your spirit, hearing your voice, moving when you move, staying put when you stay put, with peace in our hearts, whether to stay or to go that we'd have peace knowing that we're listening to you and hearing from you. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your encouragement, for your warning us ahead of time of what to expect so that we're not surprised. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to walk worthy, to be more than conquerors, Lord, as we walk through this world with you. And Lord, we pray for this world. We lift them up to you. Um, many aren't in rooms like this all over the world. Many aren't learning of you and wanting to know more about you, and they need to. And so we lift them up to you, God, that you would open their eyes to see that before it's too late that they'd accept you as their Lord and Savior, that they would be born again, Lord, that you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit, give them all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but especially the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that your word and your, and your love and your grace and your mercy might spread throughout this world. 
Lord. That's our heart. Help us to do our part, Lord, this week. Help us to see those opportunities Thursday and Friday as they come up, uh, whether that's at work and over the weekend. Lord, help us to see those opportunities to be your hands and feet, to talk about you, to share you with those around us. Lord, not to be afraid, but to be bold. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.